The AI Today podcast, produced by Cognolytica, cuts through the hype and noise to identify what is really happening now in the world of artificial intelligence. Learn about emerging AI trends, technologies, and use cases from Cognolytica analysts and guest experts. Hello, and welcome to the AI Today podcast. I'm your host, Kathleen Mulch. And I'm your host, Ronald Schmelzer. Our guest today is Steve Kuyan, a Managing Director at the NYU Tandon Future Labs. Welcome, Steve. Thanks. It's great to be on the podcast. Yeah, welcome, and thanks for joining us today. So we'd like to start by having you introduce yourself to our listeners and tell us a little bit about your role at Future Labs and what you're currently doing around AI. Sure. So the Future Labs are a series of programs, incubators, accelerators, and education programs to help startup companies get through certain stages of development in their startup life cycle. So we have accelerators that focus on certain areas of technologies and artificial intelligence is one of them. It's a four to seven month accelerator to help companies get from pre-seed to, to seed stage funding. We have incubators such as our data incubator, which is at our data future lab. That's a two-year program that helps companies that are in AI, machine learning, natural language processing, either the application of AI or core AI, so helping those companies get from C to Series A, and then a number of education programs. And we focus on other technologies as well, such as augmented reality, virtual reality, digitization of industries, and also clean tech, urban sustainability, and smart cities and smart grid. And we also have a program on veterans. So that's a very, very broad focus, but we have a program dedicated specifically to artificial intelligence, which is the topic we're discussing today. Yeah, yeah great. As a matter of fact, it was great seeing you present at the recent NYU Future Lab Summit this past week. And that was October 31st, uh, 30th and 31st, 2017 for our listeners. Can you give our listeners a two-minute recap of some of what you talked about at the summit? You know, what it was all about? And also talk maybe a little bit about who comes to the summit and the focus of the summit and just in general, some of the highlights from your talk. Sure. So we've actually been supporting artificial intelligence companies for roughly eight years since we opened. So we opened in July of 2009, and we had a number of machine learning companies, a number of NLP companies, but the technology is still early. So I guess maybe some of your listeners will appreciate this, but we used to call them recommendation companies and personalization companies. We never really called them AI companies because no one would get funding if it was an AI company. So because we've been supporting technology for so long, and very recently there's been a lot of success, we decided to put on an AI conference to help celebrate the technology and the progress, but also some of our companies that go through our AI Nexus Lab program, which is our, our accelerator. So one of the things that is core to the Future Labs is our connection with the city of New York and our mandate to support the ecosystem. So we wanted to put on an AI conference that was focused on the community. And you guys probably go to a number of conferences and you know that they're prohibitively expensive for the broad ecosystem. So we wanted to get some of the best speakers that are working in artificial intelligence and machine learning and bring them together for a summit that had a low cost and was open to students and the general ecosystem of investors and startups in New York. Our focus on the summit was to provide a broad spectrum of lenses into the technology. So whether it's the startup perspective, which is from where we're sitting is startups are working on technology that will be commercialized in the one to four year timeframe. We have academics present, which are our way of giving the audience a lens into what's happening in academia. And, you know, what are the technologies that we'll see in maybe, you know, four, five, 10 years be introduced in the ecosystem. And then of course, bringing corporate partners like Amazon and, and some of our other corporate partners to provide a lens into what enterprise is actually doing today. So what technologies are they implementing? 
implementing, what technologies are they making available to some of their customers and how it's being used and deployed today. So being able to provide those lenses. Okay, great. And then going off that, as you talked about with enterprises, what do you see as the impact of AI on enterprises, both public and private sector in the near future? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because there's a tremendous amount of impact that it's had on enterprise over the last two years. But I think the Delta of the impact that it's having on enterprise has changed significantly in the last couple of months or in the last year or so. You know, one of the things I presented at the summit is a slide about how Netflix was able to realize a cost or realize revenue that they otherwise would have lost from subscribers unsubscribing for their platform by being able to recommend more relevant content to each subscriber. And I think they said that they were able to recover about a billion dollars worth of potential lost subscriber revenue by being able to do that, by being able to understand what the customer Customers wanted by being able to personalize content. And that's, uh, you know, as you and many of your listeners will know, it was attributed to machine learning, having enough data about each individual user and being able to deploy the most relevant content to them. So I think that's the kind of impact we're going to start to see across not just every industry, but on specific applications in those industries. So I think that's the unique advantage of machine learning and why we're sort of at the tip of the iceberg when we consider the impact that it's going to have on enterprise. It's the way that enterprise companies communicate with their customers. It's going to help them be able to break retain those customers, as in the case of Netflix, is going to be able to help them enterprise companies get new clients because they're going to know exactly who their audience is. And then internally, being able to work with their employees better, being able to increase the efficiency of their internal processes. So the applications are, in some cases, almost limited to the things that a company is doing at any given time. I think you can apply the technology uh, across a broad spectrum of problems. Mm-hmm. Well, great. As part of that, as you know, a lot of companies are trying to adopt AI technology for a broad spectrum of problems that they're trying to address and trying to solve. And one of the things that's really holding back AI adoption for a lot of these companies is a bit of a skills gap. You know, as you know, artificial intelligence, unlike perhaps some of the other areas, really requires some detailed knowledge on neural networks and big data and machine learning. And so I'm really curious as to what you see the role of universities such as as NYU and NYU Tandon in particular playing with regards to filling the AI knowledge and talent gap. Yeah, I mean, I think it's no surprise that because the technology has progressed so quickly in the last couple of years, academia has not been able to catch up with the demand for talent. There's been a number of articles recently that say, I think it was a New York Times article that said that postdocs and PhDs and master's level students are garnering salaries of $300,000 plus with zero or very limited work experience. So there's a very, very high need for some of this talent. What most people don't realize is some of this talent that is getting offered these positions, some of these researchers have been doing this before it was quote unquote cool to do AI. So many of these experts that can garner these salaries are really experts in the field because they've been doing it for many, many years. And much of academia is trying to do now is fill the gap as quickly as possible. I think MIT recently announced a six-month online course on artificial intelligence at Tandon and NYU where you know, one of the things I shared at the summit was the number of faculty members that are focused on artificial intelligence and machine learning. You know, We're trying to get as many of those faculty members to teach as many classes as possible. But of course, the issue is there's a strain of talent from academia to, to the enterprise for, you know, for enterprise employers of like Google and Amazon and all these other companies are building out their AI teams. And then each company that can use AI is sometimes building their own AI groups. So there's a tremendous talent suck out of the universities. So we have this duality where there's an extraordinary demand on universities such as NYU and NYU Tandon to produce as much AI and ML talent as possible. But some of the top researchers and the top faculty members are being pulled to work as opposed to teach the next crop of students that can fill some of those open positions. Yeah. Well, I mean, if I could jump in on that, I'm actually kind of curious. I mean, it must be tough to compete with industry that is really luring a lot of these faculty members with very attractive salaries. I mean, 
And to the extent that you can, like, you know, what are you doing to keep that top-level faculty staff there so that they can train the next you know, generation of AI experts? Because that's how things can come to an end, right? If all the trainers are gone and nobody's really learning, then we're going to have a real issue. So are you guys doing anything in particular to keep them? Are you letting them moonlight? I mean, talk to me about that. We're certainly trying our best. The university does its absolute best to keep as many faculty on as possible and bring in new faculty members. I think it's dependent, unfortunately, not on the university, but on both the faculty member and the company that is trying to recruit them. When a faculty member is offered a position that pays two, three, sometimes five X what they're making at a university, it's a decision that they have to make whether or not they take the position. And the addition to that is you have faculty members who have been able to work with their employers, many of them like Jeffrey Hinton and in Toronto, Jan LeCun here at NYU and many, many others. There are companies who are knowledgeable of this talent gap that's being created by pulling all the faculty members out, and they're allowing their faculty members to go and continue to teach at universities as part of their employment, which, as you guys can imagine, is extraordinarily hard because you're working on many times on proprietary technology. And, you know, obviously the companies are worried about some of that proprietary technology essentially leaving their doors. But I think that's the model that we need to follow. That's the model that companies need to adopt when they're hiring AI talent is you need to allow this vital resource for the training of new AI talent to continue to teach at university. You know, and there's the obvious, I think many times companies miss this, but there's the obvious benefit of if the faculty member continue to teach at a university, it's also a tremendous draw for talent. You know, I can imagine that Jan LeCun, Jeffrey Hinton, and the many other researchers who continue to teach on campus are pulling in their students to work at FAIR and Google and the companies that they work for. And I think that there's this benefit to the companies if they do that and encourage their employees who can be faculty members at universities to teach because then they get the additional talent pipeline from the university. Uh-huh. This is a really interesting topic that we've been following. And, you know, you just touched upon everything that we've been seeing. So we're definitely interested in keeping our pulse on that because I know that from a teaching standpoint, it's been hard. And then from a student standpoint, these classes have become so popular and they're filling up. And I know that universities yep. haven't been able to even keep up with demand. So it's funny because just a few years ago, these classes were not popular and nobody wanted to take it. And then suddenly there was a shift and now these classes are 700 plus and universities are having a hard time keeping up. So sounds like exactly. sounds like NYU is there too. Yeah. And, you know, I think the positive outlook on this is getting a lot easier to understand the technology. You no longer need to have five years of math or, you know, a PhD in math or physics to understand how to apply artificial intelligence, how to apply, how to create new and novel research and how to apply machine learning artificial intelligence applications. So there's some benefit there, but I still think that the knowledge gap isn't being filled quickly enough. I think it's going to take some time for us to get to a point where it's as easy as learning Python or for somebody to move into the industry with relative ease. Yeah. Yeah. And now piggybacking off of that, what do you see as some of the greatest challenges in AI adoption since there is this knowledge gap going on? Obviously, the talent is going to continue to be continue to be a talking point for some time. I think AI adoption is going to be hindered by, in some cases, the media because we are seeing all these dystopian articles about how the world is going to be taken over by machines, and you know, you see these very prominent publications post pictures of the Terminator on their you know, on their covers. Certainly, there's some barriers to overcome with how people consider the technology will actually be deployed in the real world. And I think, you know, from an enterprise perspective, because I know that that's the focus of a lot of your listeners. 
there's, I think, one of the biggest areas that's going to impede the adoption of artificial intelligence is the team and the staff. I think in many cases, from the startup perspective, one of the things we help all of our companies with, especially our AI companies, is introducing them to customers and helping them get their products adopted and deployed. Most of our companies, something like 85% or more of our companies are focused on enterprise V2B, so they sell to other businesses, part of it being that we're New York focused, or so there's a New York focus on enterprise. So many of our companies follow suit. But what we're seeing when companies are deploying with some of their beta clients and then they're doing POCs is there's no process in place for at some of these companies to run pilots, to run beta versions or light versions of some of these solutions, both from the sales pipeline perspective, from being able to know so the simplest problems our companies have is they don't know who within an organization makes a decision how these AI solutions are going to be adopted internally. Is it the CIO? Is it the CTO? Is it head of product? There's no person that's been designated within an organization that says, here's the person you need to go to, or here's the person that's going to learn about artificial intelligence and how it's going to apply to some of the problems we're had. And then, of course, there's the post-sale side. So once you've been able to find who it is that's responsible and being able to convince them this is something they need to try, there's no process internally for deploying the technology. And I think that's something that needs to be fixed. And I think it's a huge barrier to being able to adopt some of these cutting-edge solutions that startups are working on that many of these enterprise companies don't need to build internally. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if it's any consolation, and I don't know if this is a consolation or not, but there are many conversations with enterprises. They're still at the somewhat beginning stages of really thinking yeah. about how AI will be implemented in enterprise. In some cases, they're farther along in certain groups. You know, we talked to banks and they've certainly been at the forefront with AI, especially around things like fraud management and also obviously robo-advisors. And there's different aspects of AI that they've been implementing. And so they're ahead, but the rest of the organization is pretty far behind. You're right. It's a really interesting dichotomy. We had another conversation with a major transportation company, and they're like, well, we really see it as an extension of our product. So we need to really get sales and marketing involved because this is creating a new thing that we could sell. And right. and so that's very different than talking to the CIO who's just thinking about, well, this is something we implement for our own use. And so it's like, well, are you selling something that's going to expand the business? Or are you selling something that's reducing a cost? It's really interesting how it's blurring the lines, unlike some of the other technologies have in the past. Exactly. And then you see the opposite of that in certain organizations that want to hire a CAIO, which from my perspective is the exact opposite of what you want to do, because it's not one person who needs to know how the technology works. It's everybody who needs to know how the technology works. Yeah, but it does have interesting correlation because we think of it as sort of like the next wave. So if you think of like the late 90s, early part of the 2000s being sort of like the internet wave, where just the internet took over the enterprise and everybody had to rethink their position on that. And then maybe the latter half of the last 10, 15 years being the mobile wave, how mobile really impacted everything. This is basically the next wave of AI. And it's just like you wouldn't have a chief mobile officer or a chief internet officer. <laughs> it sounds ridiculous exactly. now. Like, so yeah, I think you're right. To the folks who are thinking, to our audience members who are thinking about implementing a CAIO, I encourage you to rethink that. I think we can make a strong position on that. <laughs> if you don't have a chief mobile officer, you should not have a CAIO. But anyway, we can, we, can go, <laughs> we can go further on that. But we don't want to make this podcast last too long. So I really do want to thank you. You've had some really great feedback and really great content. And if possible, we'd love to have you on for a future podcast if you're interested. Absolutely. We'd love to be back in the future. Thanks. Yeah. All right. Great. Yeah, well, thanks so much for joining us today, Steve. And listeners, as always, we'll post articles and concepts discussed in the show notes, and we'll catch you at the next podcast. Thank you for joining us, Steve. Thanks. And that's a wrap for today. To download this episode, find additional episodes and transcripts, subscribe to our newsletter and more, please visit our website at Cognolitica.com. Join the discussion in between podcasts on the AI Today Facebook group. And make sure to join the Cognolytica Facebook page for updates on this and future podcasts. 
Also subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, Google Play, and elsewhere to get notified of future episodes. Want to support this podcast and get your message out to our listeners? Then become a sponsor. We offer significant benefits for AI Today sponsors, including promotion in the podcast and landing page, and opportunities to be a guest on the AI Today show. For more information on sponsorship, visit the Cognolytica website and click on the podcast link. This sound recording and its contents is copyright 2017 by Cognolytica, all rights reserved. Music by Matsu Gravas. As always, thanks for listening to AI Today, and we'll catch you at the next podcast.